And these communities are going to wither and die if they don't get broadband, and they all are realizing that now. Welcome to episode 353 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Our series of interviews that Christopher conducted at the 2019 Broadband Community Summit in Austin, Texas, continues this week. Doug Dawson, president of CCG Consulting, who also writes the popular Pots and Pans blog, sat down and talked about important happenings for this week's podcast. Christopher and Doug get into 5G and all the hype that has surrounded it. They also talk about electric cooperatives and how their involvement in broadband deployment has continued to rapidly expand, and they get into public-private partnerships. Doug and Christopher talk about the fact that more communities now than ever are interested in developing publicly-owned networks. They also talk about recent projects and events that have surprised them and make a few predictions. To stay up to date with events in telecom, municipal networks, and broadband, check out Doug's blog, Pots and Pans by CCG.com. Now here's Christopher with Doug Dawson of CCG Consulting. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, doing another interview from Austin, Texas at the Broadband Community Summit. I'm here with Doug Dawson, a fan favorite from last year, president of CCG Consulting. Welcome back, Doug. Hey, thanks, Chris. It's uh, you, you asked us we were sitting down, what are we going to talk about? And I was just thinking, whatever. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of things happening. Um, what does CCG Consulting do for people who didn't listen last year? Uh, we're full-service telecom provider, so we do a little bit of everything. And, and because of that, over the years, we've had 900 clients. So that's a really big chunk of the broadband industry. Uh, we do feasibility studies. We do regulatory compliance. We do engineering. Uh, we help people with billing systems. Uh, we raise money. So if you need it, we probably do it. And at least one of you lives and dies by Maryland. That would be me. Yes. <laughs> Sorry about yes. them in the, in the yeah, tournament. Yeah. I, I was a, a fan. So let me ask you, how embarrassed are you that last year you thought 5G wouldn't be the amazing end of the world, you know, solve everything problem? And it's, here we are in 2019 and 5G is everywhere. It's 5GE everywhere, right? That's what the E stands for? Uh, yeah, that's everywhere except where you are. Yes. <laughs> so, so what has changed? Have you has anything changed in the five G hype, or what, from what you expected, what we were talking about last year? Not at all. The, the hype has become clear that it's it's really a political motivation more than anything else. They're using that as the hammer to get what they want out of the FCC, who's handing the wireless carriers everything they ever wanted on their wish list. They've created this idea that we're at a five G race. You can't be on a race for a technology that every country in the world can buy anytime they want. So it's working. I mean, the FCC is, is using that as an excuse to hand them everything they want. It's also good for their stock prices, but there is no 5G coming next year or the year after or the year after. Even though we're, there's a whole new round of announcements the last week alone, mm -hmm. there's no actual products there. at and rolling out 5G in 19 cities. There's no 5G phones. Well, there's uh, an announcement from Samsung that people are trying to make a lot of hay about. There's this weird attachment because it'll kill your battery if you leave it on for 10 minutes um, because of the energy consumption from 5G. I mean, that's what you're talking about. I mean, right. not, not the novelty things, but a real product. A real product. So it's going to break in over 10 years just like 4G did. And, and that's what we knew from the beginning. Uh, I think by next year, the hype's going to die down. I think eventually people will go, shut up. <laughs> well, at least someone will join us saying shut yes, up, I guess. Yes, indeed. We, we've heard a little bit about uh, the results in Sacramento of 5G. 
And uh, from a study that Craig Moffat did on Wall Street, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but there's been a lot of discussion about his findings. I'm curious if, if anything in Sacramento struck you as surprising in terms of what Verizon's doing in its first proprietary 5G uh, rollout. It actually almost completely validated what I expected. So, you know, speeds that are good, but not awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, let's not make any mistake. 300 megabits a second is great, but... I don't believe that they can do it for 2,000 feet. I believe they're fudging those numbers. That The physics is just not there. But, you know, what Craig Moffat says is he doesn't see the business case, and I don't either because you're now directly competing with fiber to the home. If you get fiber close enough for every five or six houses, why wouldn't you just build the drops? Today that's cheaper than what they're doing. And so for that to work for them, uh, they've got to get the price of those radios way down, and then they have to look at the life cycle costs. Those radios are just flaky. They're always going to be flaky of every kind of bandwidth you would ever use. So keeping them running right is always going to, you know, Verizon laid off, what is it, 20 some percent of their staff last year? Remember, 44,000 mm-hmm. people? They're trying to get rid of people. Why in the world would they get back into a neighborhood intensive wireless business? I, I, I don't understand what they're thinking here. I don't know that they have any intentions of doing it. I think that this was for their stock price again. Uh, there's not many cities where they're going to be enough fiber for them to actually go up and down all the streets. But I agree with Craig Moffat. I, I don't see how the math works unless those radios are $40 a piece. And they're not. They're going to be way more than that. So. Yeah, one of, the, I mean, one of the headlines that I'd seen, which I didn't check on, it, it really validated my assumptions, which is dangerous. Anytime you read a headline that validates your assumptions, you should have the uh, integrity to, to re- look into it more rather than just assuming that you are right. I mean, this is a major problem of our, of our, of our society right now, I think. But, but I'm curious what you think. It was, it was basically the idea that like, this tester wanted to check out 5G, but he had one tree between him and the radio and could not use it because of that. Right, and that's the, that's the reality of the, of, the, of the complete flakiness of wireless. It's never going to be 100% coverage. You can't make it work. And there's no way around that. You're going to end up with 70% coverage or something. You come out to their house, visit, spend a truck roll, and then go, sorry, it doesn't work here. I, I don't know that we're ever going to see that. I expect that actually to pop up in small rural county seats, not done by Verizon, done by little guys. Mm-hmm. You know, in places like that, that might be a good technology where there is no fiber at all. And so it might turn out that they can make a business case out of that. There's no way they're going to do that for all of Sacramento or all of any major city. Verizon just announced they're closing down at this point. I think it's over 150 wire centers from copper. And so they're going to finish those off in fiber. And they've proven fiber lasts forever where they already have Fios. Why would you put in a technology that's going to be having problems in seven or eight years? And why would you put in a technology where as we keep doubling the speeds we need every three years, it's, it's, it's okay today, and in 10 years, it won't be that okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, everyone else will be selling 5 gigabit, and you're selling 300 megabits. It's not going to have a good marketing appeal at some point. I, I don't think they really are going to do that. I just really can't believe that that's a good idea for them. So as we move away from 5G in our, in our discussion, and ideally in the obsession that <laughs> it has over the industry, um, what, what out there is changing? Is there anything about 2019 um, in terms of dynamics that, that you're seeing that are different um, that you may not have predicted? I didn't think that the electric co-ops were going to leap at this as fast as they are. I mean, I've had a number of electric co-ops as my clients for 15 to 20 years. They're very conservative folks. Co-ops are generally run by farmers and local business folks. And, 
and they're they're not usually young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's who's on co-op boards, and and for them to all be deciding to get into fiber uh, tells us something about the true nature of of of, uh, of, of rural broadband. I, we do surveys is one of the many things we do, and we did a survey for a, for a co-op out west that every single customer said they wanted fiber, including people who don't even intend to have a computer in their house. They wanted everybody else to have it. And so we've never seen that before, and anywhere I, close to that. I know survey. that you know the difference, so let me clarify. Yes. They didn't say they wanted broadband. They wanted fiber. They wanted fiber. They, they wanted the co-op to build a fiber network. Um, and so, you know, those, these are folks who are living on their cell phone data. They've all given up on satellite data. It just mm-hmm. doesn't even work to actually connect. And, and these communities are going to wither and die if they don't get broadband. And they all are realizing that now. And it, what's amazing to me is that the rural folks have talked the co-op board members into it. They've also talked local politicians into it. Every, I've visited counties now where they tell me the number one political issue is lack of broadband. You know, opioid or something else will be a far distant number, too. But everyone wants broadband in their house. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, it's now becoming a true crisis out there. So I didn't expect it to get that big that fast. I mean, there's been five very conservative states who overturned the law against co-ops being in the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would have ever thought that a state like Mississippi would do that, where AT&T owns the politicians in that state? Right. It was a unanimous vote to overturn that. I mean, that tells you something. I, that's completely unexpected. I would have not been surprised by a 55-45 vote, mm-hmm. but 100%. Every single politician voted for it at the state level, including the guys from the cities. Mm-hmm. They can't vote against it right now. That, that's a, that's a, that, to me, that's a big change uh, that I didn't expect. Uh, the other big change I'm seeing is public-private partnerships are actually starting to work and get popular. So let's, let's come back to that in a yeah. second. I, okay. let's, and we'll yes. dig into that because I want to dig in this for a second. The rural issues with the co-ops, uh, there are senators who are telling people who contact them, oh, we've got it covered. We have reconnect. $600 million is going to be great. The people I'm talking to here are telling me that, and frankly, by the time this airs, we may have even, we'll know a lot more because this is uh, one of many interviews we're recording. But the uh, the reconnect seems like there might be th- more than $3 billion of applications for $600 million. Well, think about it. That's $12 million per state. Mm-hmm. That doesn't do that doesn't even do half of a county project. Sure. <laughs> I mean, let's get serious about mm-hmm. how, how little of an amount of money that is. I mean, you're from Minnesota where they've been giving out $20, $30 million a year, and they need to do that for three decades to make a dent in the problem. Mm-hmm. So $600 million is nothing. Uh, on top of that, the money's so hard to get that a lot of the folks are not going to qualify for it anyway. So. Well, that's one of the suppositions because the rules are a little bit crazy. Right. They, may, they seem like right now they're being softened a bit because they were so crazy in terms of if you identify one premise that that um, you identify as not having broadband, but it does have broadband, then your application gets tossed out. I mean, right. given the level of data we have, that's not nobody can make hit that level no. of certainty. And people are thinking that's because they're just trying to weed out as many projects as possible, given the oversubscription that we're expecting. Yeah, there's going to be a whole lot of applicants who will be very disappointed. The money's going to go to folks who are already our U.S. borrowers. That's where it's going to go. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about public-private partnerships. The um, I, I agree with you uh, absolutely in that it seems like it's more viable. What are you seeing, and and, and what does that mean? Because there's the words been that term has been used for so many different things. Well, I'm seeing three different kinds. Um, first off, you're from a state where I think it's almost a dozen counties have had at the county commissioner level have voted to contribute a grant towards broadband if they could find a partner. 
Now, they, have, they haven't all found a partner yet, but they've put the money on the table. Right. So that's one kind of public-private right. partnership. Right, and these are, these are counties that have economic distress in many the, cases. These, some of these counties have no money. Uh, one, the very first county that did it, I just, it's like, wow. You know, they had trouble finding the money to pay for the $50,000 broadband study, and then they put $5 million on the table. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's pretty eye-opening how bad they think the problem is. And the people in the county supported that, and they're going to support a broad issue, which means their property taxes are going to go up. It's the only way to pay for it. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one kind, and that's new. I don't think I remember a local grant for broadband before. I agree. I can't remember yeah. one in the past. There might have been a few here and there, but, or maybe little tiny ones, you know. But these are they're putting big numbers on the table. They are, yeah. In some in some cases it's a grant. Sometimes it's a loan that has like a, like it's ten years until you start repaying right, it. So right, there's right. but yeah, there's but it's real money and it's taxpayer dollars. Like there's right. no bones about it, right? No, it's taxpayer dollars. The other kind we're seeing is they're hiring. They're going, look, I can, I can find the money to build the network, but you got we don't not want to be an ISP. So they're bringing in people to operate it. So that's a pretty common model. That's happening all over the place. You know, people really want to do open access and they, you know, they just can't make that work. So they just bring in one quality operator. And then and it's usually somebody local. It's usually someone who the people in the town already know the, the county next door has them already and likes them. So, uh, so that's a really popular model. Um, the third model is uh, interesting and there's only a few of them that are public private partnerships. This is the model that's going for the co-ops. It's the model where they find a partner to operate it, but they both put money into it. There's not too many government ones of those yet. There's been a bunch who have discussed it, but that's a pretty uncommon model. But in the electric co-ops, the co-op is building the fiber, then the, the partner builds everything else. They mm-hmm. bring in the trucks, the all the electronics, all that sort of stuff. So they're true. It's like a true partnership where they, they then somehow share in the profits over the years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, communities are looking at that. They're a little nervous about that. But a lot of them, I've talked to a lot who are considering it. So I think we're going to... By the end of this year, you said, what's new in 2019? I think we're going to see a couple of those come out in the public this year. And that would be new. It's sort of like what Huntsville did, but in the rural places. So actually jumping back to to rural again for a second, what do you think? I mean, we have Amazon now talking about uh, very low Earth or at least low Earth orbit satellites. I think that's the fourth or fifth. I mean, we're looking at upwards of 20,000 satellites in the sky in, in low Earth orbits. In, well, there's in been years. applications for 10,000 now, and there's still other companies talking about it. That's scary if you're going to be a manned spaceflight trying to work your way through that belt. But what we don't know is anything about price or speed. And I think we got our first hint of that two weeks ago when Wadden Webb came to the FCC and asked for a million licenses for Earth, for U.S. Earth stations, which means customers. And so they're not trying to solve the, everyone's problem. They're not trying to bring 14 million people, 14 million households broadband. So that tells me they're going to charge a premium price. Mm-hmm. And in rural areas, you can. So I think their model is going to be a premium price. And, and if they fill up their satellites, I honestly don't think we're going to be looking at mass speeds of more than 100 megabits. That's my guess. Uh, again, SpaceX said that they could do a gigabit. Uh, but what they didn't tell you, because if you read their spec in great detail, they would have had to shoot a beam down from like five satellites to the same customer just to add up to the gigabit. They're not about to, if they do that, they're only going to be able to serve, you know, 10,000 people. <laughs> right. They were not going to do that. Actually, I actually think they will do that. They're going to do cell site backhaul if that's what they do. I think a lot of these guys are building the networks for that. They're going to realize there's a whole lot more money in cell site backhaul. Mm-hmm. They're going to go, wait a minute. 
I could have three customers or I could have a million customers. It's a lot easier to deal with three customers. So yeah, so I'm, we'll have to wait and see if they actually do residential broadband uh, because that's hard work. We all know that it is. Uh, one of the lessons I take away from just Sirius and XM as well is that we may start off with four or five companies doing this, but I presume that within a year or two, maybe a little bit longer, it will consolidate into one. It may not because a few of these guys are the billionaires who are very stubborn people. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, they may, they're like, I'm not joining with that asshole. You know? uh-huh. so, uh, so we'll have to see about that. This is not a normal industry. Okay. You know, I mean, what amazed me was, you know, Amazon is not, I mean, he took the satellite company 100% in the divorce settlement. He really thinks this is important. That's a business with no assets or money, but, he, but his wife just gave him 100% of that. That's his baby, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are, you know, they're the generation that I'm come from. They all love the idea of getting out to space. It's the dream. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I'm in the middle of one of many science fiction novels right, right now. So I'm a, right. I'm a fan. And, right. and frankly, I think a lot of the naysayers are jerks because, right. like, you know, it's one of those things that um, the kinds of people who do things that are totally unexpected, they're not people like normal people like our neighbors, no, right? They're like, they're people who have big egos and, yeah, and they act, do special things. You know, people always say, I want to have a beer with that guy running for president. No one really wants to have beers mm. with these guys. Right, right. <laughs> and I, you know, that's what we need to push. I mean, right. Tesla was not the kind of guy no. who would be comfortable to have a beer with. No, he was not. <laughs> so, mm. um, so let me ask you, in terms of the munis, we are seeing, I mean, right now, I, I was trying to count it up, but in terms of like, like we have like what, like maybe 20 municipal projects happening in, in Western Massachusetts. And that's sort of a unique circumstance. But on the front range, we have a good three or four that are percolating and, and very seriously moving forward, I think. And, I, and I, I'm forgetting several others. I mean, there's a lot of things moving forward right now. Is, um, are we seeing something different in terms of cities um, you know, committing to this and actually building out in a municipal, um, like municipal ownership? Some of them might be using partnerships. But what I'm trying to get at is municipal citywide networks. Are we seeing a growth? You know, we do 15 to 20 feasibility studies every year now for a couple of decades. And uh, I think a l- large percentage of the ones I'm doing now are actually going to turn into projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's years where I did them and none of them turned into projects. Uh, they were just seeing if that was a good idea or not. But everyone who's coming to me now is pretty serious about it. So I do think there's been a change. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to make it because raising the money is always the hard part. Uh, so that, you know, if there's anything that stops them, it will be that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we saw Tallahassee put out a, a bid for RFP. And then obviously within the, the following three weeks, Comcast or AT&T got to them, and they re- then they re- voted to reverse it. <laughs> right. Well, I think Comcast you know, but, also but got they, to the... But it passed three to two. They weren't serious about it to start Right. With. No, and I right. think that's really important. As cities are right. thinking about this, I was... Who was I talking to? Someone was just talking about... Um, oh, I, it was a consultant here who was talking about an electric board. And we were talking about the co-ops that aren't doing it. He thinks maybe a third of the electric co-ops will ultimately not do anything around broadband. And he was citing as an example a board in which the deciding vote was 5-4, I think. And the guy was very happy to have been a deciding vote to stop the project. Which, you know, from what you're just saying, I would actually say, yes, I'm glad he did too. Because, like, when you're talking about something that is an existential, you know, like, um, either make or break for the organization, you shouldn't do it on a 5-4 vote. And you don't want to have it canceled a year into the project where you spend a whole Mm -hmm. bunch of money and have nothing done for it. Yeah, I I agree with that. Mm -hmm. The board has to be behind it now. If that community really cares, they'll get a new board. That's, that's yeah, that's exactly it. And this is and where, then, and then they deserve to get into it. I also think you have to remember, electric co-ops fall into two categories. There's the ones who can walk. You, you do a feasibility study, and you go, "It's forty-five million dollars." They go, "Okay, we're good." 
because they already know they can borrow that much. Right. So now they just have to decide if they want to do it, but the money is not an issue for them. And probably about a third of them are in that category. The rest of them, money is the scary issue. A lot of, you know, some of them don't have the reserves. They're so rural that even the electric side, they're not making a lot of money and they can't go to the bank and easily borrow this money. Well, and some of them are upside down on propane exactly. ventures or other things and they're, and they're right. really scared after that. Right. So, so the, some of them probably can't make this work unless they get some of the federal government help or some other way to make it work. And so you, you can't really fault some of them for not thinking it's a good idea because they, they may not be able to pull it off financially. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big concern. If you can't pay your debt back, you lose your co-op. When you pledge your co-op to a loan, that co-op is going to be sold off to a commercial provider for ten cents on the dollar at some point. So, yeah, and I think you know some of these areas that that are not moving forward. I, I suspect that that they're kind of in a declining pattern. You know, I mean, right. the the way that the United States government and many state governments, I think, have systematically harmed rural economies is is irreversible. Yeah, um, most, you know, of, most of them are losing population. Right. And right. The population is aging like crazy. So that's a, not a good combination. Yeah. And I just I mean, I'm, yeah. one of the things that ILSR is constantly talking about, I mean, you need strong local economies for these places for people to want to live there. Right. Um, and when you're giving all these incentives to companies like Amazon to basically, you know, try and take the margin away from them and to, to so people are buying their products on Amazon rather than locally. Um, there's a lot of government policies that are involved in that. That's really harming the kinds of businesses that you need to be livable. Because when a grocery store closes, people start moving out. <laughs> right, they do. Grocery stores are doctors. When you can't get those two things, you leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So have you paid attention to the Erie um, uh, County in New York uh, approach? I have. What do you think about this? And we don't, I don't want to talk specifically about them unless you, you want to for some reason. But this is a, an interesting model if I were to describe it more generically. A county says, we can't build out, we can't afford to bond to build out to everyone. So we're going to build a backbone and try to work with a few providers, ideally, to, you know, to connect. And this is what Centennial did with Ting. What do you think of that model? Well, we have enough evidence that half the time it works and half the time it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, there were a whole lot of middle mile networks built with uh, with uh, stimulus funds mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and some of them don't have a customer on them yet. Some of them have been very successful. And so just building the fiber, is middle mile fiber, is not enough. There still has to be a business case there. In Erie County, just to talk specifics a second, they have two different bands of the county. They have one that's somewhat populated. And people can probably make a business case in there. And then they've got the same stuff we all have, which is really spread out houses. Mm-hmm. The middle mile is not going to lure somebody to do that. It's because that that's not your big cost of doing it. It's the last mile. Right. If you're so going to build out doesn't to, yeah. fix you, they could they could pay you to take the middle mile and it doesn't make a business case. And so mm-hmm. so it'll work. Maybe um, it doesn't hurt, but they can't do that. They're talking about spending a lot of money if they do that and, and nobody shows up. They just wasted a lot of money. Well, I think in their case, they are hoping to use it for some efficiencies. And, right. and they're hoping to get some 5G and sure. things like that that they'll be leasing to. So, But let me ask you this. If it works out in the way that you just described, is it unreasonable to think that the county would say, all right, we're going to build this middle mile and, and we'll have a, a company that uh, hopefully a local company like Empire will come in and, and build out to the homes and areas where they can make it work. And then maybe the county will bond again in, in a few years and build out more to the last mile to those hard to reach areas. And that's what it's going to take. It would take a long protracted, you know, if it's really going to, and I don't, I don't have any numbers, but let's say it took them 150 million to get everybody. And, and mm-hmm. that, that could be twice or half the number. They would have to go after that year after year after year. If they don't have the money to do it now, then, but they could do it over time. The fact is they're doing this because those folks are telling them they want broadband 
they're trying to respond to that big cry for help. Mm-hmm. And so you, ha- you have to say their heart's in the right place. I'm not saying it won't work. I'm just saying there's a lot of places where it didn't work. Now, if I was doing it, I wouldn't build the middle mile until I had those end users, the end user ISPs signed up already. Mm-hmm. Now that it's on the table, let's have a serious discussion about if I build this, will you show up? Let's sign contracts. You know, that, I don't think I would do it otherwise. Um, or at least enough of them to cover a pretty big percentage of them so it made sense, mm-hmm. you know. So, And if, they, all they, if all they end up doing is getting those inner sub, the outer suburbs served, they've still made a lot of progress because that's probably where most of the people are who are outside the city limits. So, you know, there's no right or wrong here. They're trying. So, and I hope, I hope I'm successful. I hope it works because there are some middle mile networks that have been highly successful. Well, and so, actually, in, yeah. in, in fact, in <laughs> I'm stumbling over my words here because frankly, I'm frustrated. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have gone the way I wanted to, but Ontario um, built a network, Ontario County. They built their, their access Ontario network middle mile. It did not catalyze a lot of investment until it did where empire had started building out a little bit and then bought the whole network from the County. Right. Now, unfortunately the County no longer has an open access network, but they do have a local provider that is investing. I think cities have to recognize that if they build it, the chances are probably 50, 50 that it's going to eventually get sold. It's just too attractive. If someone comes and offers you money, city counties and cities have a hard time turning down that profit. They never see profits. Mm-hmm. And, and, so they end up with one provider. But what the point is they got fiber. Is it more important to get fiber or open access? And that's a decision they each have to make. Well, so here's what I would yeah. say that. And, I, I, and let me know if I'm interpreting your comments correctly, because I don't think you're passing a judgment of whether it's wise to sell it. But you're saying that the incentives of a, of a given city council and mayor are to sell it. And then knowing that they're not going to be around when perhaps 10 years down the road, it proves not to have been a wise decision. Oh, absolutely. It's a it's a election year decision. You mm-hmm. bet. So my answer to that, though, is that I think they should think about, and I always compare Chattanooga to Fios, right? right. Both GPON, same fiber, same technology. What Chattanooga is doing with it is vastly different in terms of the economy of the um, community benefits. Now, it's worth noting Chattanooga is an outlier. Um, Wilson is, a, is an outlier in terms of the way they've done that. So most munis haven't achieved that same level of benefits. But with the right leadership, I think ownership of the network does create vastly more benefits than just the fiber itself. It can, and but not all cities. Some cities build it and they just operate it like a business mm-hmm. and they don't do any of that community benefit stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that either if it brings everybody broadband. Uh, but but the cities who put that extra effort into it end up with amazing things happening. I mean, Wilson's reinventing their town. I mean, you, Chattanooga, I, I, w- I was their first consultant many, many years ago and that town had it was poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's transformed their town. It's not like it's made it all of a sudden rich, but it's you can just see the benefits all over town from it. Right. Well, in, in fact, yeah. I, if the state would take the chains off, I'd love to see what they could do. I mean, the fact that they have um, a dramatic profit, a net income, and they are not allowed to drop the cost to low-income subscribers below a level that the state set right. is just infuriating. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Yes. So the, last the question. The state is voting against citizens getting cheap broadband. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, not exactly. I mean, I, I like to say this. The city has decided that rather than cities expanding broadband at no cost to the taxpayer, they want to subsidize slower, more obsolete forms of technology. Yes. Although most of the money is going to fiber, even though it, they didn't have to. Um, so the last question I want to ask you is, what, is there anything like any of your clients or anything you've read about in terms of cities that are doing anything that's really cool that, again, you just like to think more people should know about? 
Uh, I did a study for Cortez, Colorado. It's in the southwestern corner, and it is isolated. Mm-hmm. You have to drive an hour in any direction outside the city limits to see the next set of houses, right? Yeah, my wife and I drove through there once, and yeah. it is beautiful. There's an hour away as Durango, and then around those two towns for a long way, there's nothing. Right. And so this is the kind of place that's hard to justify fiber, right? I did a study for them. They put out an RFP to see if somebody else would come in and build it out of their own money, and they got six responses, five of which I think were really serious. That's, that's, that's never... I've. How many RFPs have we seen in the last 15 years of cities inviting somebody to come build and nobody ever responded? Right. I've never seen anyone actually pull that off. And now there was five responses. Mm-hmm. That tells you that there's commercial companies out looking for the right opportunities. Um, so that's a big change. So, th- so that one surprised me. It's not going to be a muni project, but the, but they did this work. They, they did the work to quantify the cost of the network. They did the work to, to set a rate structure. Not that those other companies will follow it, but they have a model that I created that they hand to the guy and they go, I can make money here. And so mm-hmm. they, they did all the hard work because ISPs don't want to go into a strange market and try to figure that out. That's expensive. I, my, my assumption is, is that there's a real benefit in Cortez because they have a lot of the businesses on net. Right. And so you can start generating revenues day one when you right. go in there because they've, they have that, even though there's a lot more investment that's needed, right. there are some revenues on day one. There's some revenues on day one. I mean, it's not a lot and it's not going to pay for the network, but it's better than zero. Uh, it's just an interesting, it's, again, that's not a wealthy town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was surprised to get five. If they would got two, I would have been surprised. To get five is just mind-boggling. What's the, there's a backpack <laughs> company there that stayed in town because of that fiber. Right. Um, I can't remember the name of them, though. My wife and I love them. My wife has like six of their packs. Yeah. They, I just have one big one. <laughs> they are the coolest little factory. I've been to it. And they, uh, yeah, the, it's, it's a bunch of hippies. You think they were in Asheville or, or, uh, or uh, one of those other cities like that. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, it's an awesome place to work. Yeah. And boy, they do good stuff. The Osprey backpacks. Yes, they're awesome. They're the best backpacks. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So they actually manufacture them there too. They I know their headquarters are there. Okay. They found an old building that had been some other sort of little manufacturer. They completely rehabbed it. They have this awesome workspace. The, the employees have great benefits. They give them all the perks like you can take off and go hiking when you want because this town is in the middle of all those beautiful mm-hmm. national parks. They actually thought about moving because they couldn't get broadband. And, and so when the city brought them the broadband, that took that off the table because they did not want them to leave. That was the first new place they had in years. Uh, but they're going to be there forever now. They have great broadband. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Doug. It's, it's always great to, to get a sense of what's going on. I, I, I love your blog, Pots and Pans by CCG. You can sign up to get it by email. So like once a week, you get all the stories. And it's been cited on multiple panels today and yesterday as well. People, oh a lot of people are reading it. I started it as a way to make myself read what's going on in industry. And now I don't seem to be able to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on to share that uh, your learnings with us. All right. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Always good to see you. That was Christopher and President of CCG Consulting, Doug Dawson. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. Access them wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. 
And while you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 353 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.